Hello everyone, and welcome to Return to the Realm, a rereaders podcast for the Realm of the Elderly series by Robin Hobb. I'm Caillou, joined with Alex and Leah, and today we're going to be covering chapters 10 through 14 of uh, Ship of Magic. So here, I think this is the part of the book where stuff really starts taking off. Uh, everyone starts leaving on their little quests and adventures and goes and is going out into the world. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that we aren't still uh, completely annoyed at the way that everyone is acting and really just wish that everyone would stop being so stupid. I think this episode, I'm going to hate Kefria most because yeah. I just railed her this whole time. I like hated her in my notes. I think she's the worst this time. Yeah, I saw one note of yours that said, like, stupid-ass bitch. It made me laugh. <laughs> Damn. So okay. mad at her at that moment. Yeah. I had no patience for her left. I couldn't. She sucks. Yeah, she's a horrible mom at this point. Yeah. Yeah, before we get into uh, slagging off every single character uh, who appears on page, I do have to remind people that this is a spoilers-all podcast, so it's spoilers not only for this live ship traders trilogy but also the entire realm of the elderlings uh what did you call it cycle as a whole so uh if you haven't read all of those books uh do that and then come back and listen to us or if you don't care about spoilers uh keep listening but yeah okay let's just jump right into it um so we have chapter 10 confrontations which comes right on the heel of uh, Kyle just uh, punching out his own son. Nothing to see here. My first note for this chapter is I'm not even a full page in and these people are already pissing me off. Kefria is the most annoying for literally just crying to herself. At, like, I, if, okay, if my husband knocked my child, my firstborn baby out, you best believe he would not live another, like, five minutes he would be dead before my baby woke up i don't know how she's just crying over winter like nothing happened like you know exactly who did this what are you doing he like pushed ronica and then like shook Wintro too and ronica still has to like go comfort kefria because kefria is having a breakdown and it's like nothing even happened to you I know! She is ridiculous. She's making it all like she's the victim and everything's See, yeah, happening to her. I feel like lots of the like the Vestrid family just has a, a victim complex. Like the yeah. Wintrow being like, oh, I've been taken away from my priesthood. Malta's like whole thing of like, I don't get to go to the ball. Altia being like, I don't get Vivacia. They're, they have like their one goal and they're so self-centered for it. And for Kefria, it's like, why can't everyone just get along? Why do I have to be caught in the middle? And it's like, you don't have to be. Just take a side. Like, I know. Ha have, like, a stance for once in your life, please. Yeah, her passivity is the most annoying thing, I think. Just because I feel like if I was in her position, I would have made a decision very quickly. And she's just so stuck, and it bothers me so much. Yeah, and it's like, sometimes you can understand, like, characters who are caught between, like, conflicting motives, but this should not be one of them. Like, this really shouldn't. Yeah. I think that her watching Kyle 
knock Wintro out should have been her, like, deciding moment. It should not be something that she, like, convinces herself is normal and is fine. Yeah, she's gaslighting herself. Kyle's not gaslighting her. It's her doing it to herself. It's like, she's like, wow, Kyle is so, so logical and he can do all the thinking for me. And it's like, no, like, he's just saying stuff. Like, if you yeah. applied yourself for one second, you would recognize that he's saying bullshit. Just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. He talks in circles, and he says so much. Well, okay. He talks so much, but says so little that you can't really pick apart what he's saying. So she's like, yeah, that must make sense because I don't understand it. He, he just says it with confidence, and it's just like, yeah. cool. Must be true, then. And that's wrong. Veronica also made me mad because she called Kyle punching Wintro brawling. It's like, that's not a brawl. A grown man punching a 13-year-old so hard that he just, like, drops cold is not a brawl. And it's, like, between father and son, so, like, that wouldn't usually be brawling either. And Wintro didn't even know that he was supposed to be fighting. Like... Right, it's just child abuse. It's not brawling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Veronica pissed me off here, too, but she did have one good moment when she said, when she defended Wintro, and she said, he was not throwing a temper tantrum. He was trying to make you see his side of things. One doesn't spank a child for courteously voicing an opinion, nor does one strike a man for it. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. I feel like this section of chapters Ronica finally realizes like the extent of how badly she fucked up and she's like slowly trying to scheme a way to fix it yeah she even says in this one she wondered not for the first time if she'd completely misjudged this man's common sense it's like yeah uh, yeah he did no shit yeah and it's so annoying because like it feels like on one hand great that she's finally come to her senses but like what changed? Like, homie, Kyle has always been like this. Like, it it feels, like, so weird that she just suddenly comes to her senses, like, oh, man, huh. Hmm, guess he is a bad guy. It's like, how did you not know this all along? We have to give her some credit because they, Kyle and Althea had been gone for, like, eight months, I think. Seven or eight months. And I think that she probably didn't really see much of Kyle before then. Because he had his own ship. He was like the captain of his own ship before. So he was off sailing and doing all that stuff. The same as Efren. And when Kyle came back was I'm sure the same time that like Efren was back. So she focused more on her husband and stuff and time with him. Than like keeping a real close eye on what her family is doing. Fair. But I mean... He's, he must have been around, like, enough that, like... Because Ke Kefria has, like, three kids. Like... That's true. So, even if he was, like, always gallivanting away on his ship, he's, like, he's visited en enough times that, like, Ronica you should have think... some judges. Yeah, there. you would think his, like, opinions on the way that women are supposed to act and stuff would have come out a little bit sooner mm -hmm. than now unless he was like pretending to be so good and like progressive in order to get them to give him the ship and now that he's got control of everything he's like I can like drop this act 
Kyle is just not that scheming, I feel like. He's just, like, he's too stupid. Like, he's genuinely, like, like that's the most, like, annoying part of his character, right? Because he's, he's just, like, everything he does, he does with his full chest. He genuinely believes everything he's saying is so true and right. And he's very impulsive, and he'll act and then think about it later and be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. He's got some hardcore rage issues. Yes, definitely. I think this is the chapter, yeah, this is the chapter where he basically tells them he's gonna start using Vivacia as a slave ship. And, like, the other, when Ronica's like, no, don't do that. He's like, okay, well then, I'll sail her up the Rainwild River. And it's just, like, severely fucked up that Ronica is more opposed to him sailing up the Rainwild River than him trafficking slaves. I know. And I think that the reasoning that she gives is that, like, Efren wouldn't have wanted it and, like, Efren had like sworn off the Rainwild River, but if Efren had known that Kyle wanted to sail their newly quickened live ship with slaves in it in horrible conditions, he would have been like, yes, give him the charts just taking up the Rainwild River. Like he would have not condoned anything that she's going along with. Right. <clears throat> I feel like Ronica, it's like weird because she's like, even in her point of view, she's like, she has like this muted sense that slavery sucks, but she's just kind of like, eh, like, wow, slavery do be bad anyways. And it's just like, you, that's not something you can anyways, anyways away, Ronica. <laughs> Please. Well, in, I think the first episode, she even said like, she thought that like, half at least half the slaves had like deserved to be in that position like they were the ones who brought it on themselves but like Efren felt so strongly about it she like took a stance with him and so basically her beliefs on slavery just were because her husband felt so strongly against it mm -hmm. Ronica in some ways is a lot like Kefria the biggest difference is that Ronica had like a good person husband and Kefria has a bad person husband. Yeah. It's kind of weird to see, like, the traits that they share and how much they passed it on to Malta and how she's so bad now because of the way that, like, they raised her and the beliefs that they, like, put upon her. Mm -hmm. And so it's so rewarding and refreshing to see her change and grow up because, ugh. Malta ending up the most well-adjusted Vestrid is not, like, something I would have predicted at the start of the series, no. yeah. No, not at all. I, like, simply cannot wait till we get to see her just, like, taking no shit from the Satrap. Same. She drags his ass around like he's a little kid. And just, like, shits on him the whole time. <laughs> yes. She's like, if I'm gonna die anyways, I might as well speak my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. When does that happen? Is that just in the last book, or does it happen in Mad Ship? I think it might just be the last book, but also, I have no idea. 
Yeah. Feel like everything with Malta happens so quickly that I can't remember when it starts. She mm-hmm. sucks for so long and then she like gets better very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, like, imagining, like, a movie title screen. It's okay, she got better. <laughs> yeah. That should be, like, the tagline for this trilogy. Don't worry, Malta gets better. Yeah, it should be, honestly. Can we put that on the book? Like, I'm gonna go get some sticky notes and write it on each book and put it in the bookstores. <laughs> Keep reading, it gets better. Yeah, honestly, that's just that's the biggest thing about these series. It's like once you're in it, you're in it for life. But like, there's that initial hump where it's like, oh no. Yeah, it's like, what am I even reading? Should I continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some thoughts on the way like Althea handled stuff at the start because I think it's we start on Althea's point of view, if I remember right. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that, like, she, I think she, like, hears Ronica being, like, or no, she, ta- she, she hears Kyle being, like, t- saying something about, like, hitting his son. And she thinks about Selden first and not Wintrow. And I think that kind of shows, like, because Wintrow's been gone for so long, she doesn't even really, like, think of him as part of the family in the same way. She saw him last chapter, or last episode, when she was, like, running out of the house and she's like, oh, it must be some distant cousin visiting. Like, she forgot that she had a second nephew. Well, that was her first nephew. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Winter's been gone so long that fucking Althea forgot him. <laughs> Poor guy. But he does say, I think, in this section that he feels like he's no longer part of this family. And it's true, I mean... Pretty clear that the family also feels like that because, like, Malta's rude to him as she is to everybody, but Selden, like, doesn't know who he is. And Kyle just wants to use him, basically. Veronica, it, it seems like she's like, ostensibly, this child is part of our family, but like, weirdo. The only one who actually cares about him is Kefria, and she doesn't, like, actually act, act on that care enough for it to matter. She does nothing. She's a horrible mom. I feel like she'd be the type of mom to like wear, no, she's not smart enough. But I was gonna say like, if she was smarter, I could see her being the type of mom to like wear a wedding dress to one of her kids' weddings. It'd be like, it'd be Selden's wedding because it would be the boy. She wouldn't want to upstage Malta, but she would upstage like Selden's wife for sure. <laughs> I would love that, but then it ends up that like in Chalset, they have like a different wedding dress. So it just ends up being like, like no. She looks ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, oh yeah, another thing for like, Althea doesn't really recognize Wintrow as like kin is when... Uh, Wintrow's like, like up and talking to the rest of the family. Uh, Althea says his haven blood showed plain in him, in the set of his chin and the anger in his eyes. And it's like, no dog, that's that's your vestrid blood. Y'all are stubborn as stubborn as all hell. That's you, Althea. 
But then in the next breath, she does compare him. I think this is like the second time she's done it at least to Efren. She like sees him in like the set of his like jaw or his eyes or something. Yeah, she does come around quickly, fair. But also I'm like, initially she's like, this is this is a Haven child, not a Vestra child. She kind of annoyed me when she did that because you can't put like everything that you feel about the father on the children because those children are not their father and the decisions that he's making are affecting them just as much as affecting her and they don't want anything that's happening either so like they would be on the same team and i think she does realize that later where she'd be like wintro is the only one who i can rely on to like vouch and say that kyle made this oath like under saw or two saw or something like that I feel like she's almost still using him then though she's like definitely yeah and she's also like she admits she admits it it to herself at some point but she's like she's like jealous of Wintro because of his connection to vivacia so i think that kind of also clouds the way she looks at him yeah but i feel like right here and now she doesn't realize the connection that they have until she goes to visit vivacia and she says it that's fair But yeah, I didn't really have many other notes. I had like a long paragraph where it was just like, Ronica doesn't have, like she like we had the excuse of guilt before. Ronica is no longer crippled by like grief and guilt or whatever. She's fully autonomous. She could do something, but she doesn't because she just assumes that Kyle plays by the same rules as everyone else. And it's like, they've, Lots of lots of their rationale and the way they act makes sense when you see inside their heads, but also like, I wish we, they would. I wish every character would be less themselves because I know what's coming, based on them mm -hmm. being themselves. Yeah, but at the same time, Ronica's like tiptoeing around Kyle. She's like, "Hey, I know if I." do the wrong thing then he's just going to take complete control because she's put all the cards into his hand herself and then she's like oh shit i shouldn't have done that how do i how do i go back mm -hmm. i have a solution for her and i said that she should have just given kyle the charts for the rain wilds because if she is positive that he'll end up dying up there that's like guaranteed to get rid of him. Why the fuck wouldn't you do that? Because they That's still they still ostensibly need him for they need because if he dies, the live ship is also probably dying, and they need the live ship to like have any money whatsoever, and not all the rest of them die. Yeah, but also she I like, like I I feel like she's not in like a murder state of mind. She still like yeah. wants Kefria to be happy and shit. She's making the wrong decisions. That's all I know. Yeah. But yeah, like, my final note is just, this is the most frustrating chapter, which is impressive, because each previous chapter has been more frustrating than the last, so, you know. Yeah. My last one is Kefria just became worse than Kyle at this point, when she 
says that slaves are far better. Trade in slaves and take winter with you if you must, but you mustn't go up the Rain Wild River. Ooh, no. You're the literal worst person on the planet right now, Kefria, and I hope that... No, I'm not going to say anything bad. <laughs> but I hate her so much. I think enough bad things happen to her kids that, like, that's punishment for her, but it sucks that it had to happen to all the kids. <clears throat> yeah, I'm trying to think of if she gets any, like... I think her... Like, come to Jesus or whatever is just that she realizes Kyle sucks. But I don't... I remember her, she, like, remember she has, her. like, self some self-reflection and grows. I don't think there's any, like, yeah. instigating incident other than, like, Bingtown falling apart. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's a slow thing, like, once she realizes how poor they are and she has to, like, start doing stuff that the servants did, that's when she starts thinking about everything, and that's when she'll, like, that's, like, the beginning of her starting to actually think for herself. Yeah, it reminds me of the whole Elise Hest thing, except the Elise Hest thing happens way quicker, and Elise, like, Elise Isn't gets a shitty character. Yeah, and Elise also <laughs> Elise gets a new man like immediately, so it's like we're not like left like ah pain, just like move on already. And I feel like Elise has her own like she even starts the book her own character like she has her own passions and her drive and what's like moving her forward and kefria doesn't like she's just being pushed along by her family she doesn't really have any like passion or like anything that sets her apart from Ooh. just the vestrite family for sure Okay, um, do we have any other notes for this chapter? No. Okay, cool. So let's move on to chapter 11, Consequences and Reflections. Um, I'm pretty sure, so Althea... Right, okay, so Althea kind of just, just wandering around is like, well, what can I do now? She, like, tries to, like, uh, see if there's any holes in her father's will she can, like exploit to like get stuff vivacia away from kyle she goes and talks to vivacia um and i believe meets amber on the docks and then we have a little scene uh with paragon at the end and i think that's the sum total of what happens in this chapter yep Also, if I'm happy. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I noticed that the bond between Wintrow and Vivacia really reminded me of the Wit Bonds and how Fitz kind of feels when he first is bonding to Night Eyes. And, like, we see that Vivacia can sense and, like, feel all of the things that Wintrow is thinking and feeling. So I feel like it's gotta be, like, this part at least right now is very strongly, like, wit based i think especially because the live ships come from the cocoons and the dragons are animals and i think that like it's got to be part of the wit and maybe that's why some people can't hear the dragons because they are like completely deadened to the wit and so like no amount of like skill or wit will like help 
them hear them as thinking beings. That makes sense to me. Yeah, and they definitely have, like, I'm pretty sure, like, they describe the sh- live ships having, like, a wit, not a, a wit sense. So, mm-hmm. like, that, ha- I also, I like the line that you called out there as, like, evidence for it, where it's, like, Vivacia is talking about how she's ashamed that she reaches out to Wintrow, and it's, like, that's just Fitz and every wit partner he's ever had. Just being, like, I shouldn't, but I must. I feel like he didn't feel ashamed until Night Eyes. Or, like, he didn't feel like it was something that he should stop doing until Night Eyes. Because I think that with Nosy, it was natural. So he didn't know that it was wrong in the first place. And with Smithy, it was, like, he was rebelling against Burrich. And, like, Burrich had turned him out anyway. So he's, like, fine. And then with Night Eyes, he realizes, like, oh, I actually need Burrich in my life. So, like... I really shouldn't be doing this, but I need this connection. And that's when he starts feeling bad. And that's when it's the literal strongest bond of his life. I miss Night Eyes. I know, me too. (laughs) I kind of really miss Fitz, too. I love, like, getting the story from such a personal point of view. And I think that that's something that we don't really get in this because we've got so many different people to focus on and we've got so many different thoughts and feelings and like places that they're going and worries that they're having it's hard to think in and like feel the story because we have just one fits to focus on and cry over yeah it's for me it's a little bit less immersive because you get to a point where you know fits so well that you can really like step into his shoes but I don't feel like we get to that level of connection with any of these characters just because we're not we're not getting like first person point of view of them and we're spending time with so many different people Mm -hmm. and I think that some people like even take a step back and like take a back seat as the chapters or as the books go on because other people come forward so it's like so many different it's hard Mm -hmm. i think if we just focused on all of the characters that we've had point of views perspectives from right now it'd be easier to get that strong immersion but because we have even more people to come and we like haven't even gotten to all the points of view yet it's hard I also feel like another thing is, like, with Fitz, he's, like, a fuck-up, but he's, like, an understandable fuck-up. We get annoyed, but we're also, like, relatable. Meanwhile, now you've taken his fuck-up and distributed it across several characters and in less relatable ways. And now, so it's just, like, frustrating without any of the catharsis. Yeah. For a while. none of these guys get a good win we talked about this but none of them get oh. any nice successes until the like last 50 pages of the last book mm-hmm. it's just all downhill from here yes and you think like everyone at this point i think believes that they've hit rock bottom and they're nowhere near rock bottom yet like they don't even know what's coming Yeah, I think, like, 
The only one who like doesn't have that bad of a down spiral is is like Brashen. Brashen just gets like a little addicted to Sindin. And then he's like, My, maybe I should stop being addicted to Sindin. And then he just is. <laughs> yeah. We're like, it's not that simple. He, he like there, but like, close enough. Yeah, I mean, his problem is the least severe, I think, out of all players. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> just some light drug addiction, <laughs> and then he gets a live ship. He gets a live ship. Fitz has had worse drug addiction. I think that, like, <laughs> Rashin's fine. I don't understand the appeal of Sindin, though, because doesn't he talk about having, like, burns in his mouth? It, like, yeah, doesn't it burns like, holes in your mouth. Or something? Yeah. yeah. Horrible. I don't get it. It, like, causes sores and stuff. That does not feel like a comfortable thing. The way they describe it, it sounded like really intense pop rocks. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> literal mouth explosions you lose a tooth when you have some sendin it's fine mm -hmm. it like it sounds like harry potter candy to me like the way like they talk about like yeah. fred and george it's like yeah I, it causes you harm but it's it's good nice and it's like okay i guess so <laughs> like yeah oh yeah there's like acid pops in harry potter that's what it reminds me of it's like why would you ever have this but i guess it exists it reminds me of the thing that Dumbledore had in his, in a little candy dish that, like, you would eat and it, like, bites your tongue and stuff like that. I think the rest of my notes are about, like, Amber and stuff. Hey, because that's definitely, again, we're we're just talking about... We're missing characters from uh, from Farseer, and it's just like Amber, 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 Amber. Yeah, she's the only one that we've got. Mm -hmm. I had one note that was just um, there's a part where Althea mentions sensing like a ruthlessness in Vivacia, and I was like, is that some foreshadowing? Because that seems like Bolt. It's definitely that's what I thought too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, there's a line the, where it's the like the aren't really ruthless like they're very no. stubborn and prickly but I wouldn't call them ruthless I feel like they're also sensible like they can be reasoned with and I think that someone who's ruthless can't like right. they will do just what they believe is right kind of like like Kyle a little bit mm -hmm. yeah but Kyle's not wrong like, <laughs> enough as a character to be ruthless, I feel. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, there's a line where she's like, "What's the second in command's name again?" Uh, for like Kyle. Is it Torg? Torg, that's it. So, like, Torg is being an asshole to Altia, and then Altia is like starts thinking he was a yapping dog, she was a tigress. One did not waste snarls in such a creature. One waited until one could snap his spine with a single blow. And with a wave of giddiness, Althea realized her thoughts were vivacious, and vivacious were hers. And I'm like, that's some dragon shit. That's some dragon shit yeah, right there. Absolutely. Especially comparing yourself to, like, a feline. Because <laughs> I think that they're so, like, dragons are so closely tied to, like, cats. Mm -hmm. Just, it also, like, 
<laughs> the way they're named and everything. And like, I feel like this sort of description reminds me so much of how Sinatra would be like, I am a queen. I'm going to beat all of you up. And like, so like, I'm a tiger. I'm a tigress. I'm going to snap your neck. Like, that's uh, yeah. so dragon. <laughs> Definitely. Mm -hmm. Also, I know that, oh, go ahead. I know that Leah said something about like Vivacia or she put it in her notes how she like hopes she doesn't understand why Althea hopes that Vivacia wouldn't try and like take things into her own hands. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that brought up like we both thought of two different reasons why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my thing is Althea is still like she's my little baby and I gotta protect her. She's growing up in the world because like Althea, I'm uh, sorry, uh, if Vivacia straight up has to tell Althea, like, I am a ship, I'm not your child. And Althea's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, anyways, daughter. And it's like, come on now. Like, she doesn't say anyways, daughter, but, like, she obviously has that vibe. Yeah, I can see that. But I think that Althea also, from, like, growing up, spending so much time with Paragon, she understands, like, what can happen when a ship takes matters into their own hands. And she like doesn't want that she doesn't want Vivacia to become that kind of mm -hmm. I almost said person, but like ship. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't want her to be like a repeat of Paragon. <clears throat> and I mean that makes a lot of sense given that they the next point of view they switch to is Paragon. They they love doing that where they're like own like l little bit of like foreshadowing. Or, like, not foreshadowing, but, like, reference to other character, immediate, Subtle like, hints. point of view switch to them. Yeah. Yeah. So. I love that Althea th thinks if she, if she, like, Vivacia kills Kyle, he will have brought it on himself. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> because you told her to be good, and she said she would, but she can only promise so much. I wish she would have done it a little bit. I wouldn't have been mad. <laughs> you you're just, like, bold. You're like, blood, 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 blood. <laughs> yeah. Just when it comes to Kyle. Mm -hmm. And probably Kenneth. And Kefria. And sometimes <laughs> Every character whose name starts with K. Yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. Watch out, Ketrickin. You're next. Never. She's my queen forever. She's the only good K name that we got right now. Oh yeah, so we were just talking about uh, the uh, like different reasons that Altia might not want Vivacia to like take things into her own hands, essentially. Oh, yeah. My knee-jerk response was like, yeah, she should fucking flip over and kill them all. <laughs> but <laughs> I understand, like, from what you guys replied, that that makes sense. I still think she should have done it, at least to Kyle. She shouldn't right. flip over, but she should, like, like bring me and be like, and Kyle, I have to tell you a secret. Kyle, come here, I have to tell you a secret. And then grab his ass and chuck him off the boat. Mm. Yep. I feel like, see, my thing is, I feel like people would miss, like, the rest of the crew would miss Kyle. Or not, like, miss him, miss him, but they'd be like, 
what happened to Kyle? Weird. Do that to Torg? I don't think anyone would care. Kyle would be like, where's Torg? And I was like, eh, he probably fell overboard. Oh, shit yeah, sucks. Anyways. To Torg. Mm-hmm. I wonder what would happen if, like, Kyle had died before. Like, I think that it, the whole ship would have gone down in chaos because none of them really understand a live ship and no one would keep them in control like Kyle did. Yeah, because Kyle gets rid of everybody that is used to Vivacia, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't he yeah. like, get rid of Efren's whole crew? Yeah. So, or most of them. So I think they just, like... I think a live ship knows how to get itself back to Boomtown, though. So I'm oh, sure yeah. she could, like, sail herself. Because we know Paragon gets back on his own multiple times. Yeah, right. But I feel like if something happened to Wintro, she would lose it. And so, like, the... I think that, like, they would start picking on Wintro if Kyle was gone. And then once Vivacia caught wind of that, she would flip. And then everyone would be, like, on tiptoes around Wintro. And that's how he would kind of, like, rise in the ranks. But he would be still way too inexperienced and wouldn't do very well. Like, at least right now I love how you say like start bullying him as though they like don't start as soon as he like to Tor Tor, as soon as he steps on ship Torg is like ah underling bully I love the little moment where Wintro asks him and is like why do you do this like what what do you feel when you bully people why is it something that you do and then he like gets really mad because he's never had to think about that and poor Wintro just a little knocked up because of it mm-hmm. he, he just like don't make me think of that that's that's dumb yeah. don't make me think thoughts Mm-hmm. In no think, only inflict violence. I feel like that's a little something that I miss about Wintro is how, like later on in the books, he keeps his thoughts to himself more. But right now, like fresh from being from the monastery, he feels so comfortable just voicing everything, and like he will think something and then immediately say it and I liked that and I missed that from him because I don't think that he does that very much later he's like slows down and starts to really think and choose his words carefully mm-hmm. okay do we want to talk about Amber perhaps yes of course I love Amber yeah, I have a question <laughs> about Amber do we ever find out how she gets a storefront on Wayne, Wayne Wild, Wayne Wild <laughs> Street. Because that seems like it'd be hard to do. And she's just like, rolls into town. And makes wood beads and then gets a whole ass storefront. Well, we know that she has really random connections. So, like, I wonder if she just knew somebody and... Like, she probably has the money for it because she was, like, working. At least the fool was working when Fitz was, like, dead for a year. 
So I'm sure oh, they saved up a lot of money and could have like bought the storefront outright, especially because now in Bingtown, like everything is going down the drain. So a lot of people are having to sell their stuff off. And I bet Amber had the money right when she came to Bingtown to buy the storefront, but was like, this would scare everyone off. Let me slow slowly work my way up to it. And that's why she like had a little front at the beginning and then kind of jumped. She was like, okay, I'm sick of this. Like I need something bigger and better. And like, I need to be dramatic about it. <laughs> and that's why she got the Rainwild like marketplace. I think they sense. explain it maybe sometime in Madship, but they either don't explain it or like they explain it like briefly when like I think when like when Jack arrives and she's like getting ready to leave or something and like what are you going to do about your store and she explains that like it was like she was like I don't remember exactly I I might have just made this up but I feel like she like explains that she's like leasing it or that she like got it from someone else and like it's fine or whatever I don't remember yeah I could see getting like a vague full answer for sure. Mm -hmm. I would love to pick Amber Fool's brain and just be like, how much do you know? Because it seems like certain things she does, like she can sense wizard wood or like she knows, <coughs> sorry, she knows that it's like not ethical. It's like, how much do you know? I bet someone gave her a piece of wizard wood to carve when they saw how well she'd done it. And then she took off her glove and touched it with her skill fingers. And that's when she realized that had to be how she, like, figured it out. Or has she been to the Rainwilds at this point? I don't, I don't think, think so, so, but I don't know. Okay. I feel like I, rem I maybe so. remember that she, like, went to the Rainwilds. And like, no, 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 never mind. No, I no. think this is that happened after Tawny Man and before the Fitz and the Fool trilogy. I know Fitz goes to the Rainwilds mm -hmm. and then he like walks all the way there. He? Yeah, <laughs> like, and then howls the Fool, and the Fool's like, You can't walk on the Rainwild River. And Fitz is like, Yeah, it ate through my boots, and then I had to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? Fitz is honestly sometimes a little bit too much. <laughs> like, yeah. being friends with him would be too much sometimes. Like, you would just need be... mental health breaks from Fitz. Fitz would I definitely would be, be the so friend who's like, we're doing something fun this weekend. And you're like, can we not just, like, can't we just, like, well, let's go out for some drinks, please? Like, and he's yeah. like, Nope, we're going to like laser tag or something, and it's like, yeah. Or you go hiking and then you're lost for 72 hours in the woods, and they're like, isn't this fun? Exactly, yeah. We're going no camping. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. There are no tents, no supplies. I we're living we off the land. Off. Come on. Yeah. And he'd be like, I spent all my coins on ale at the last inn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, not all of them. I had to get some elf bark, you know. Of course. Just in case. Mm -hmm. But I won't use it. I'll keep it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. But yeah, back to Amber being, like, weirdly prescient. Like, 
she has like the two earrings, right? Like the serpent and the dragon. And I was wondering if it was intentional, like because they're both halves of the same coin. And does she like know that at this point? Absolutely. I think we should assume that she knows everything when it comes to Wizardwood and dragons and everything. From the first moment that we meet her, when she gets that like disgusted look on her face when Althea compares her to Vivacia. Mm -hmm. Like, that's when you should know, like, Amber knows it all. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I am believing throughout this book. <clears throat> explains a lot. That's, like, one of the best points about this character, though, is that, like, you know them so well, but at the same time you don't. Like, they're so mysterious that at any given point, it could be like, how much does the fool know? You know? Because mm -hmm. sometimes he'll be like, I don't know. But other times, they know everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's interesting because I feel like in the past series, they were just like, the way they weren't really like super cryptic. They just like said stuff in like, long words and Fitz is like mm, can't understand that <clears throat> mm -hmm. I feel like in this series they're like a little more evasive or they just say some stuff outright I'm like eh, they won't they won't like they won't understand it it's cool I can just say this yeah I kind of feel bad for Amber like I'm sure they miss the like closeness and oneness that they felt with Fitz and now they're kind of just like having to go among strangers who don't really know them and like are kind of mean sometimes to them and like enact this change but they probably really want to just be with Fitz hanging mm. out with him and Night Eyes in the pack mm -hmm. and like the Farcer trilogy the fool definitely had some difficulties but I feel like this series is, like, interesting because it's one of those things where, like, they don't get there in the end. Like, they miss out on Wintrow. And so, like, it, they f it feels like even though they're, like, taking a more active role than they did in Farseer, stuff ends up going more sideways. Yeah. It's interesting that she doesn't know. Like, we know the only place that we've seen the fool, they've known so much. Like, who the catalyst is, what the goal is, blah, blah, blah. And in this trilogy, like, she doesn't know who her catalyst is. She's got it wrong on timelines. And, like,. We don't know how much she knows about the goal. Because I feel like later on, it seems like like when her and Amber are on... Are they on Vivacia together, or is it a different boat they're on together? I think it's or Paragon. her and Althea, sorry. I think it's Paragon, right? <laughs> I think it is. Oh, Paragon, yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like she knows exactly what the goal is outside of, like, bringing dragons back. But mm -hmm. how to accomplish that, she's not sure. So she also wants to end slavery. Yeah, and ending slavery. Yeah, we kind of see her like stumbling around blindly in a way that she never does in Farseer mm -hmm. or Tawny Man. 
it was hard like going to a new area and starting over because at least when the four meets fits they've been in buckkeep for at least a couple of years i think so they've had a second to like situate themselves and like get into the culture and everything like that and then then they can feel the tug more strongly towards fits but i think starting all over again it like erases all of those connections and ties that they had and they have to build all those up again and doing all of that building all those ties up and looking for the catalyst at the same time must be pretty difficult at least i would think it would be yeah and like in bucky like shrewd was just like i'll take care of you and provide for everything now it's like you're on your own and you need to do everything yourself and i feel like the fool in Buckkeep has a like web that's already made and already spun when Fitz comes and tugs on one of the little strings that are in it and then the fool knows to go in that exact direction but in this series or in this trilogy Amber is like spinning her web as people are tugging on it so she doesn't know if that's getting like ripped off or if she should be going in that direction so it must be so much harder Mm -hmm, for sure hey also this is like my first amber note i don't know how i forgot it she like touches her like belly which like when i the first time i read this i'm like oh okay weirdo but then like she knows that Elthea has the wizardwood charm how does she know that i have no idea and i don't know like i wonder if sometimes the way Amber and the Fool, like, know things. It's just one of those... It's like how B knew that she had to be at that moment, like, in the little, like, thistle or whatever to, like, get her... Unlock her tongue. Like, it's one of those, like, just feelings. And, like, I know that this is something that I should do, so I'm going to just act on this feeling without really understanding why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, like... Amber does that or if she actually does know all about the like belly button ring and stuff <clears throat> I'm just gonna I just kind of assume that like what do you call it uh, that it's just kind of a writing tool to make Amber more mysterious because like sure I vibe with that The thing is, we don't even know why it makes Althea so uncomfortable, right? Because yeah, we don't Althea know just that like he... weirded out. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, I would be weirded out also if some stranger was like touching my stomach, and then I had like, a... if I knew I had a wizard word wood charm belly button ring, I would be like, "How do you know that?" Mm-hmm. Or like, "What do you know?" I don't think it happens in this chapter, but I do like when Amber's just like, I want to be friends. Because it reminds me of like when li- when little kids run into each other and they're like, let's be friends. I know. I think it's so sweet and cute. Mm-hmm. And poor Amber doesn't really have anybody here. So like, 
You gotta make friends by being blunt sometimes. Let's be friends to save the world. <laughs> yeah. They also, um, they, des they describe Amber as having tawny eyes here. Um, and I think Julia knows that the next trilogy is called the Tawny Man trilogy. And I wonder if she'll pick up on that. I don't think she I will like because she might. Mm -hmm. She doesn't she also like spoil herself and like look up the characters and everything. So well, she she, might... she she looked up like a few things, but I don't think she'll know. She didn't know this part of it. So I am very excited to see if if and when she puts the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Which you can do it pretty early because it's like the whole like. We need to save the world and also prophecies and stuff is very full. But also, yeah. like, I feel like we're just, like, not primed to, to think of characters swapping genders ever. So, like... Yeah, definitely. I don't think that I would have figured it out if I hadn't known. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I think yeah. I would have I figured it out at the very end when she's, like, carving Paragon and would be like... <gasps> Carves him with a broken nose. I feel like that could have been a key and a nice little clue mm -hmm. doesn't she give him like an axe also yeah out of like the scrapings the leftovers or something like that or is it just regular wood oh, i thought I it was wood i just remember someone saying why did you give him give a broken weapon. nose or something and she's like his nose is perfect yeah <laughs> I love also like in Tawny Man where she's like, nothing could ruin his face for me. And it's like, oh, you. You're so dramatic. <laughs> mm -hmm. hey, I wonder. Go ahead. I wonder if. Actually, I'm going to go on a different topic. So you go first. I was just going to say, like, um, while we're talking about Paragon and his face claim, uh, I, there's a line where they're talking, where Paragon's talking about himself, and he's like, he was frightening, true, but the most frightening part about him was what others had done to him. And I'm like, that sounds very fits. That sounds very fits. Yeah. He's a scary guy when he wants to be, but mostly it's just tragic what his life has been. Poor guy. I was thinking about Amber and everything that we know the fool goes through and what happened to them at, when they were at Claris the first time. And I wonder if it, like, is painful for them to, like, have to think about all these dragon stuff just based on the trauma that they endured because of their beliefs about the dragons and everything. Like... I feel so bad for the fool a lot, but especially when I'm reading, like, Tawny Man. And it's like, oh, you think you're going through, like, the worst that you're ever going to go through, and later you're going to get, like, blinded in your fingertips. Or I think their whole hand was skinned. Like, it was a and nice they, little skin glove. Yeah, and they make a glove out of it. It's so gross yeah. and sad. It, and it's, it's like, it's it's so awful too because 
like the because the, they have so much trauma from like what the pale woman does to them and it's like usually like like trauma is hard enough to move past even when there isn't stuff validating that like core of fear that comes from being like treated that way but then like it's like lightning strikes twice and they get like tortured horribly again and it's like how do you ever feel safe after that like anywhere you don't, and that's why you go into a wolf mm -hmm. yeah yeah also, also you're talking about the dragon tattoos made me wonder like when the fool first started to like change like color or whatever i wonder if they were hoping that in doing so their ta the tattoos would come off or like be like bleached out i bet i'm sure i feel like we think about fitz in his torture so much and how much he went through but really the fool has gone through so much more already and we don't really know that up to this point and then they go through even worse and like they had it the worst i think yeah, like even before fitz gets beat up the guards like take turns using the fool as a punching bag yeah and like even at buckkeep under where where like the fool is supposed to feel the most protected or whatever the their special play their like special room gets like ransacked by regal's guards and stuff and it's like oh cool nowhere safe there's nowhere safe in the world. On that depressing note, let's talk more about Paragon. My last note in this section is me um, just quoting, I think it's the last line. Althea's going to Paragon and um it says like any other mad relative he was kept in obscurity spoken of in whispers if spoken at all and i was like dang that's very sad mm -hmm. i'm excited to like get to the part where we learn more about his backstory because i remember that we get explanations but i don't remember what or how or why so i'm excited to like relearn that stuff again i feel like we paragon starts remembering more when they start working on him and then when he like gets new log books that's when he starts really yeah like getting flashbacks and stuff mm -hmm. Yeah, because we know, because I know, like, what happened, like, with Egrot and all that, but, it, it, like, this chapter, like, threw me off because it says, like, he came back without his crew, like, a few times, and I'm like, I, I don't remember yeah. how they explained that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember, like, what the order of events is or which one of them is Kenneth's father. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, like, going through, you'd expect it to be Sedge, but then, like, stuff doesn't, like, make sense. Right. 
we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, do we have anything else for this chapter? I don't. Okay, so let's move on to chapter 12 of Derelicts and Slave Ships. Um, okay, so, oh yeah, there's, there's like three things. Um, Paragon again, right? Yeah, so there's, mm -hmm. there's like a thing at the start with Paragon, and then uh, Althea comes to Paragon while Brashen is still there, and they have like they have a sad conversation in the dark, and then <clears throat> uh, we cut to Kenneth and Sorkor grabbing their first slave ship. But it says that he, like, almost understood them, or they almost made him remember. And that's, like, such a big hint that the live ships are connected to the serpents. But it's something that only somebody on a reread would notice. Like, and that's one thing that I love about Hob is just that, like, she's such a good writer in terms of foreshadowing because on a reread her stuff is so obvious but on first reads it you like can't pick it out at all it's so mysterious or you yeah. just skim past it thinking it's not like important right. i also yeah. noted that it's they looked deep into his eyes they wrapped his hull in their sinuous embraces holding him tight in a way that was both threatening and reminiscent of something and I was like, a cocoon. Like, it's got to be him remembering being in the cocoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, she doesn't, like, obfuscate anything. She just, like, it's sort of just, like, stuff that you don't expect to go together. Because, like, why would the ship and the serpents have anything to do with each other? Like, wizard wood. That's wood. It's just, like, it, yeah, totally. And it's just, like, just by naming it wizard wood, it may, it, like, it's a misdirection. Mm -hmm. but like in the end everything's like laid out there you can like put you can put together the pieces pretty early you're just like they're just like so different that you just wouldn't be expected to i feel like that's just yeah. like i have another quote about wizardwood i think it's sorkor talking to kennet when they like are going after the slave ship because they tried to get um one of the live ships i can't remember which one but he says deadwood has no chance against wizardwood at the very waves of the sea part for it and i was thinking like maybe it's because the live ships like not them as the beings but like them as the like ship remembers what it's like to swim as a serpent so they know how to like maneuver the water and ocean for them i think that makes sense that's gans i also think there's probably like a little bit of skill involved when it comes to just like their supernatural speed they because yeah. sometimes, sometimes they just like don't care about the wind and they just move against it and that part like that's not a memory thing that's just Magic y magic. But can the skill like manipulate 
physical things that don't have like a mind i don't even think it's manipulating the water i think it's literally just like i'm going to just move my little my, my little body thing faster hmm. but like i don't know <laughs> But, like, there's some I mean, magic going on. I'm just going to assume it's the skill because it involves dragons. And, like, I don't think the wit... I guess, could you wit, wit push yourself forward? I don't even think that's how it works, but I don't know. I feel like I don't understand the full breadth of the skill because sometimes there's things that Verity or Fitz can do with the skill, and I'm like, huh? It's, it's, kind, of a it's kind of a convenience magic. Yeah. 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 Like, One -stop Verity shop. switches their bodies. Like, if they can do that, I feel like you can do anything. I was also thinking, like, the whole ship is kind of like the live ship's body, and they can manipulate and control things even that are made out of, like, dead wood for them on their person. Because I know that Vivacia, like, snaps a line or something to distract some of the, like, people on her deck so that Althea can come and talk to her. So I feel like it makes sense that they can, like, tighten or loosen, like, all of the boards to make it easier for them to sail against the wind. It also might remind them of flying, because I'm sure the dragons yeah. go against the wind. Definitely, yeah. The, sa the sails are just their wings. There was another line from the Paragon section here where it said, somewhere in the labyrinths of his memory, a homesick boy sobbed into his bunk. And I felt so sad for poor, poor Young baby Kenneth, because baby I hate adult Kenneth. Yeah. They're literally different people, it's fine. It's mm -hmm. different, yeah, they're different people. Mm -hmm. um, I guess speaking of Kenneth, my, one of my other notes is just like at the end of the chapter he, he's being like such a grumpy guts about oh i didn't i didn't get my live ship and look the slaver thing is going so well oh i hate it and they stink so much and like <laughs> it's so funny because he's like there are times when he's like terrifyingly good as a manipulator but he's but really most of the reason that he's able to get away with manipulating people is because he's goddamn lucky. Because there's times like this where he's just straight up an ass. He's like the most obvious asshole possible. He's like, I didn't get my way and so now I'm mad. And it's like, you are transparent. Glass looking motherfucker over here. I think it might be, it's either the next chapter or the chapter after, but when they're actually talking like about, um, what comes of getting the slave ship and like he's just being such a dick where he's like mockingly naming the baby Sorcor and like actively like gagging in front of the slaves and stuff and everyone like interprets it a different way <laughs> so that it's like oh my god Kenneth was moved to tears and Kenneth named the baby after the first mate yeah and like he's I like, he was like he's just, yeah he's just left yeah, he's just purely lucky. Yeah. And this is, this is something to talk about, like, way down the line. But, like, 
I'm kind of annoyed because I feel like I, I think I spent lots of this trilogy like expecting there to be some like messaging or like reasoning between behind him getting lucky lucky all the time or like but it just feels like he just gets but by the end it just feels like he gets lucky for plot convenience and that just kind of annoyed me because it felt like an author hand wave where it's like I can make stuff happen and just say that it's because of his luck and it's convenient for the plot and I'm like okay I guess so I think he's like I mean in, ter in terms of people interpreting his actions in a way that's lucky I think part of it is because he's been so good of a manipulator in the past that he has them all convinced that he's like a decent person so then they interpret his actions the way a decent person would act but because we're in his head we're like ugh He's just a dick. <laughs> well, and he feels like nothing. And I think that, like, it ties into him being um, forged a little bit. Because there there was a quote that I noted, and it said, Kenneth felt distant and detached as he watched their hapless victim roped in and secured. And that was, like, talking about the ship. But he also feels similar when he's, like, under there. And I wonder if he would have felt something differently or like felt something at all if he had like all of himself and he was going down there mm -hmm. especially because like he has been like trapped in the hold of a ship before like yeah it, i specifically think the slaver annoys him a little bit more because it's like there's something there he knows he should be feeling but he's forged it away yeah Yeah, I think that's all I had to say for this chapter. Like, stuff happens here, but it's mostly transitionary or, like, setting up for some of the stuff we get in the future chapters. Yeah, I think my only other note was I wonder if the aggressive turquoise serpent could be Sintara, a.k.a. Sinatra. <laughs> yes. There, and there's an orange serpent as well, which I know one of the minor dragons orange, so I feel like it has to be that one. Just because, like, it's such an uncommon color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought about the turquoise one being Centara too. I was like, it could be. It's mean like her. <laughs> I love how that's, like, that's just her main personality trait. Asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you if you appear in this trilogy, just obligated to have personality trait asshole. I think so. Um, yeah, so let's move on to chapter 13, Transitions. So, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Althea meets with Amber. They hang out and become besties. Um, Wintrow and Kyle have words because Wintrow's like, actually, I don't think I want to be on the ship. You should get uh, Auntie Althea instead. Um, and basically both Kim and Altia are kind of setting off on their divergent paths now. I felt like before this chapter there was kind of a sense that they're still connected in some way or that like 
they could still like reconcile and like this chapter's like no they're, they're firmly on different paths now one thing that like struck me about this chapter in particular is how different amber is to the pool like they're both mysterious but amber's a lot less whimsical and I feel like that's because the fool is tailoring what, like, the personality they show to what the person they're talking to is going to respond to. Because, like, Fitz responds to that whimsy and, like, the riddles, and that's what makes him, like, actually listen to the fool and think about what they're saying. But I don't think Amber would respond to that. I think Amber would just, or, sorry, Althea I think Althea would just be like, you're crazy, and, like, write her off and walk away. I kind of had the, not opposite, but, like, I kind of felt like the reason, like, I feel like Fitz also didn't respond super well. He was just, like, confused and was like, huh? So I feel like Fool learned, like, oh, okay, that doesn't work. Let's try a different approach with, with, with wonder, this person. I wonder which aspect is more likely or more closely related to the fool's actual personality like i wonder i feel like the fool is much more like the fool than the very like serious amber i feel like when they're being amber and like lord golden they're putting on more of a front mm -hmm. maybe but there's also like the thing in tawny man where the fool very pointedly, like, makes it a point to be like, this is me. Like, I am all, all of these things encompass who I am. Yeah, that's true. We don't want to pull a fits here. Yeah. I, and I think that, like, we feel like the fool is the most the fool. Okay, that's kind of a tautology, but, like, the, the fool personality is the most them because we spend most of the series like with them hanging out with Fitz and that's like how they present themselves in front of Fitz so I wonder if like if we have like three Althea trilogies or like something like that would we feel that Amber makes more sense than the fool I think the reason that I tend to think the fool is closest to the fool is just because they love Fitz and they're like best friends with Fitz and I feel like you're usually most yourself when you're with your best friends or the people that you love so I think we get like the closest to the true personality in like the end of Tawny Man mm -hmm. or like actually you know what you know what we should call that the beloved personality yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. a good point beloved yeah because yeah, I, I think that like i almost feel like i conflate like the beloved and fool personalities but the fool personality tends to be like a little bit more bombastic a little bit more like silly and there's elements of that but it's just it's not like as crazy wacky there's still like that element of fun, but they're not like tumbling all over the place or whatever. Yeah, and the fool still makes, or beloved still makes little like quips and jokes and little songs and stuff like that. 
because I think that's just who they are. Mm -hmm. For sure. I just wish Amber would make up little songs and stuff. I know that when Amber is carving Paragon or like helping to restore Paragon, she does like sing little things to herself or like hum stuff, I think. Also, Wade, we were speaking earlier about like ways that you would probably guess that this is the pool. And I feel like in this chapter when Althea is talking about the beads, it's like the exact same way that Fitz thinks about the fool's puppets in Assassin's Quest. Like the thing of like, kind of like, or like, or, or the way that uh, Fitz is talking about like making the harp for Starling, where it's like finding a shape that existed in the wood rather than carving it into something definitely yeah so like if you're perceptive and pick up on that parallel you could definitely guess by this point there's one part um well it's about wintro though so are we okay to move on from amber yeah, sure. I, I want to okay. come back to the amber part, but like, I think they're, I think both of the I scenes like... in this chapter are like super intertwined. So let's. And I feel like talking about Wintro usually leads back to Amber, at least for this section, because yeah. he is her catalyst. Yeah. Um, it just made me laugh when Wintro's like doing one of his rambling inner monologues. And he's like, it had been easy to look at the lives of farmers and shepherds and see how much of their misery was self-generated. I was like, Wintro, you're so pretentious. Like, he, it reminded me of those people that are like, oh, you're just sick because you want to be sick. Like, it's in your head. Like, it's stop like, being so lazy. Like, if you just right. applied yourself and it's like. If you ate more kale like I do, you'd be so much healthier. Mm -hmm. Have you tried, you tried like, working out? And it's like, like, yeah. huh, thanks for the suggestion. Like, Winter, you know, someone so who's weird. never had to farm or shepherd, being like, oh, their, their misery is self-generated. Okay. Mm -hmm. if, if, if only you got to live a cushy life as a philosopher like I did. Yeah. Like, he's just a little douche. <laughs> mm -hmm. But again, like, I get, I get it. I get it. Because, like... Very 13-year-old um, perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. he, he, and he's, he's, got, he's in a unique position of having no life experiences, and so being snooty because of that, and also be having the vestrid complex of being, woe is me, I am the only one who matters in the world. Ah. So, you know. And my good. problems are the biggest. Yep. A little two for one there. I loved how we went from talking about in how the like chapter is broken up. It goes from talking about amber and how amber's looking for a nine-fingered slave boy and then the next section is wintro and the first thing they're doing in his section is talking about his hands or like him thinking about his hands or he's doing something with his hands it was i so... did not notice that 
I think he was like, they said something about the calluses on his hands or like he started noticing how like his hands were looking rougher. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, and even if you, like, there's no way you can know about the nine-figured slave boy thing at this point. But Amber is like, when talking to Althea, and, and Althea's like, why do you care about me? And it's, and Amber's like, you see the flow of events. You are able to tell how you could most easily fit yourself into it, but you dare oppose it. And why? Simply because you look at it and say, this fate does not suit me. I will not allow it to befall me. And it's like, that's exactly like Wintrow. And then we move to a section where Wintrow's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be on the ship. Uh, this is not my destiny. I am meant to be a priest. Take me back to priesthood. And mm -hmm. it's like. So, yeah. Also, now that we're back on Amber, I'm just going to. There's a, Amber's, there's a line from Amber where it's like, I am more than willing to argue with coincidence, but the few times I've argued with fate, I have lost badly. And it's like, and, and she also says, but that is not true of all folks. Some folks are meant to argue with fate and win. And I just, I love how like just pretentious these lines are. I feel like Amber as the fool would like absolutely say these same things. Mm -hmm. Just, they would like, fit it in the middle of like a long poem or something and just like fits would folk be like you're so you're so complicated fool why can't you just tell me things straight up i wonder if the people who are meant to like argue with fate and win are the ones who are the catalysts and that's how the fool can like pick them out well, like, every time she said that Fitz was going to get poisoned or die or something, he does, but then he just somehow survives it. He just shrugs so, it off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fitz, is the, Fitz is the person who's like, have you just tried not being sick? And he just, he's like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I will. Right. He tells a story about how as a kid he fell out of, like, a three-story window and was, like, perfectly fine. <laughs> not up to play with his friends. It was an easier way down. I didn't like, want to take the stairs. Come on, like, I shrugged off, like, being paralyzed. You can, too. Come on, now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, also, Althea being like, you sound like a fortune teller. And it's like, hmm. 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 I wonder why. I love that there's a little wolf beat in the mix because I'm sure Amber misses our wolf as much as we do. There's no way that she doesn't miss the warmth and the snuggliness and the cuteness that is Night Eyes. I was thinking about Night Eyes a couple days ago just because like I missed him and I was like thinking <laughs> about his name and I'm like I wonder when Fitz calls out to him if he calls out the like image that he had or if he calls out the word and i think that he has to call out the image because that's what's like tied to night eyes well but also night eyes has become more human as a result of exposure to this so probably it, it's it probably a combination <laughs> oh i want to read assassin's quest again <laughs> <laughs> You really want to go through 700 pages of traveling? 
And remember, and remember that there's a good there's a good portion of them where Night Eyes isn't there. I'll skip that part. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> okay, you're gonna you're gonna read like a hundred pages of the book then. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> I think I only have one more note for this chapter, and it's a quote. And I think that Wintrow might say it. Um, it's, it is only in the last few generations that we have begun to separate the halves of our whole. And it got me thinking, like, that in the last few generations is when Claris really started gaining control over the world. And that's when, like, Buckkeep fell into their, like, dark ages. And that's when Bingtown started regressing with the way that they are like viewing women and all of that stuff uh clara sucks yeah absolutely yeah um oh yeah i, I have like a few more quotes here um because i feel like there's so much that like wintro says that i'm like hmm uh so wintro's in one of his like self-despairing rants um, and he said he had always taken a secret pride in his ability to summon beauty and hold it but had it been his skill at all or had it been something created and said by the teachers who insulated him from the world perhaps given the right atmosphere anyone could do it perhaps the only remarkable thing about him was that he had been given a chance and I'm like this is what we were saying that like that there might be like this thing of like skill proclivity for like most people and they just need the right way to exercise it or like develop mm -hmm. it because because we were like talking about like it, it's probably a mix of both inherent skill uh, sensitivity and also being given the right environment to train it so but yeah i, I like that like winter like directly calls that out and even says like skill though not with a capital s yes I wish that Wintra would take that thought and go forward with it instead of turning around and being the, like, stuck-up boy that he is for a little bit longer. Because he does have moments of clarity, and then they just, like, brush past him. Yeah, like, instead of despairing here, he should, like, flip the script and be like, well, if anyone can do that, does that mean in the right environment anyone can learn and practice the skills that they're supposed to so i can learn the skills of the ship yeah and i've already started to learn the skills of the ship and, my, and like it goes back to what he's talking about with his hands callousing and it's like huh i'm adapting to my environment but like he's too focused on himself and not the big picture which he admits like he's talking about like um within the massive stone walls it had been easy to discern the underlying order in the world now that he was out in the midst of it, he could still see some of that pattern, but he was too weary to examine it and see how he could change it. He was tangled in the threads of his own tapestry. Um, and yeah, I think I had like one last note, which is um, there's a scene at the very start of this 
a chapter where Brashen and Brashen saying goodbye to Paragon, and like I forget how it comes up, but like Paragon's like, you humans have an option that I don't. You always have like Brashen's talking about how like I think he he doesn't have he doesn't know where where he's gonna go after now that Vivacious gone and like he doesn't have many options, and like Paragon's like you could always die. I can't die, but you could die. Have you, have you considered dying? And so, the chapter ends with Windrove talking about he could disappear into time as though he'd never been born, and I feel like that ties back into the start of the chapter, where it's like I didn't even notice that. And just like uh, Kenneth, Windrow is a sad, dis sad emo, despairing boy in the ship of, in the hold of a ship. So. It, and he's on a live ship and potentially transmitting those feelings to Vivacia. So coming full circle a little bit. And Kenneth thinks about doing some nasty things to Wintro, like what happened to him when he was a boy. Yeah. Like, oh, Kenneth's so gross. Yeah, he's fucking disgusting. I hate him so much. There's so many characters in this book that I just hate so much. It makes it hard to reread it, but it's so good. You can't not reread it. And we love to hate them, so. Yes, absolutely. I need a lot of anger in my life. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot to say this chapter, but I think that's the end of it. What about y'all? Yeah, I'm ready for the hatred of the next chapter because I think that's all I've yeah. Okay. Chapter 14, Family Matters. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think the chapter starts with Kefria and like, uh, like being like, oh, they... I, I did, can I let Windrow go? And Kyla's like, it's okay, he'll be fine. I'm gonna turn him into a man. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Kenneth is just like going onto the slaver like we mentioned earlier and being like, oh, I hate it. The, this sucks. This is awful. This is the worst idea ever. But then, by luck, it turns out that the slaves were actually the people of, uh, what is the name of the uh, town? Askew. <clears throat> Askew. I do not remember. And so <clears throat> everyone hails him as a hero who somehow knew this. And so... Uh, the, and and yeah, so that's the chapter. It's just being angry about Kenneth. I completely forgot that that happens in this chapter because all I focused on was hating Kefria and Kyle. <laughs> I like, bypassed Kenneth. I'm like, it's yeah, so funny because I have no notes about the first scene and all of your notes are about the first scene. By our powers <laughs> combined, we have the full chapter. Yes, we can do it. I have about half and half. So I'm like the middle ground for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I tried to mute myself and it didn't work. <laughs> I just couldn't get over my hatred. I think Kefria is so fucking stupid. She's so stupid. <laughs> like, it makes it even worse because, like, there's part, you know that there's part of her that knows 
shit ain't right. Yeah. And, like, she's just ignoring it intentionally because she's like, me just woman. Me can't think thought by myself. I think she's such a fucking stupid ass bitch. <laughs> like I said before, because she's like crying about how she like can't see Wintro and she's like, like begging Kyle to bring him back up. Does she not realize that she is the one who owns Vivacia? And she can go down to the ship whenever she wants and see her son who is down there on the ship. Also, I was thinking, I think we talked about this the last episode or I just like made it up. But I know that Amber says something about in some section about how like it's wrong to talk about your live ship like owning it when they're a living being. And it's like oh, it she says that her, to Alpha. Yeah, and her wanting to free the slaves probably ties into her wanting to free the live ships too because she knows what they are and that they are actually living beings and they kind of are like the last slaves then. Mm -hmm. They're slaves and they don't even know it. Yeah. Basically. Which might be even worse than knowing you're a slave because at least you can escape if you know. Mm -hmm. But if you're oblivious to it, you don't even know what you're missing. Oh, I remember what the town is or the island or whatever. Well, I don't remember. I see it in my notes <laughs> that Kenneth drops the slaves off on. It's askew. Okay, cool. And he like... Just randomly picks it, but then a bunch of people that are related to those slaves live there. Yeah. He's like, this is closer than Divi Town. Divi Town is way too long to get the stinking ship over there, so let's just drop it while we can. <clears throat> and Sorker's like, you're so wise, Master. Oh my god, how did you know? Sorkor. I'm, I feel so bad, because Sork I love Sorkor, but then he's just... He gets taken in too. Everyone gets taken for a ride. Yeah. yeah. He ends up, doesn't he end up like marrying somebody and like he, he it works out for Sorkor. He gets like everything he wants. Does he end up dying when like the serpents attack the ship or so. does he survive? I think I know that a lot of people end up dying. Like I think that there were Sailors that we don't know yet who do end up dying. But maybe it's like a satisfying one because they're mean and we hate them. I hope Sorkor doesn't die. Sorkor is like one of the few characters in the series who I think deserves a happy ending. Yeah. yeah. Even he's like one of the few because there's so many characters in the series, but he's one of the few non point of view characters who I actually give a shit about. Same. I think the other one is probably Rain, and the only reason we don't get a point of view for him is because he's a, he's like supposed to be this mysterious weirdo. I think we do eventually, because I remember him like thinking about he like worries uh, about Malta, and he's like, I hope that I can get to her. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, he does. Talks about um, going the into the cocoon area. Yeah, I forgot about that. Right, right. Okay, yeah, my bad. I totally forgot about that. So Thor and Amber are the only ones that we give a shit about who aren't 
in the perspectives, like giving us their perspectives. Mm-hmm. I have another quote um, that just fuels my hatred for Kefria. She's thinking about Wintron wanting him to be back with her and stuff. And she thinks Kyle was his father. Surely he would let no harm come to him and would tell her if there was any real reason for concern. Bitch, you watched your husband knock your son out and you're telling yourself, oh, you know, he would tell me if there was something that I should be concerned about with my son. What? Excuse me, what? Meanwhile, he ends up getting uh, Wintro branded with slaves tattoos. I just want to sucker punch the shit out of Kefria. Like, please, can I just knock her out once? Just put us in a ring one time and I'll beat her up and then it'll be fine and I'll feel better about stuff. Like, I just... I hate her. I hate her the most right now. And I I didn't like that. I think I I hate her, like, less because... Like, despite how, like, passive and, like, shitty she is, I feel like at least... like. Well, she should definitely have more agency. There's definitely, like, part of it which is just, like, the societal plus Kyle influence on how she's acting. While Kyle is just, like, ha- Kyle is just a dick for dick's sake. But, yeah. No, it's, it doesn't, like, excuse any, any of the way Kefri acts. It just makes me, like, able to understand her character more than I do Kyle's, I guess. I think that her passivity makes her even worse because there are clearly things that she can do to change stuff and to make things better for like her children and herself and she just chooses not to which pisses me the fuck off and she knows what's right and what's wrong kyle like genuinely thinks everything he's doing is right yeah and kefria just goes along with it even though she knows it's wrong Mm -hmm. so I don't know. She's confusing to me also because she was raised with, like, a mother that was handling stuff. And she's just like, I don't want to handle anything. So I'm just going to lean into misogyny so that I don't have to do anything. I mean, I think that's exactly why she doesn't want to handle anything. Because I think she explicitly states, like, she didn't want to be like her mother who is always overworked, tired, um, the uh, all over the place at the May Harvest, did had to handle the books and was always stressed and whatever. So she saw her mother, but took away like the exact wrong lesson, which is which is like work is hard. I think it's also in this chapter when Malta comes in and like goes behind Kefria's back to ask Kyle if she can get like a long dress for the ball, mm-hmm. and. Kefria gets mad and lashes out and like like childishly punishes Malta by telling her that she needs to like finish her embroidery by the end of the day and I'm like like you're clearly not raising your kids right you are not a good mom Mm -hmm. and it just shows even with the way that you treat the kids and like the way that you raise the kids that are yours at your house like you it's clear that the servants were doing the raising of the kids Mm-hmm. Speaking of raising the kids, um, Kyle spends like 90% of his time talking about Altia, about like, oh, she's so willful. If only Efren had taken a stronger hand with her. 
And then he turns around and does the exact same thing with Malta, where he spoils her to death. And then she, and then she, because of that, she ends up doing some real head ass stuff later on. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Wow. He fucking is. Kyle's approach to parenting reminds me of, I don't know if you guys have seen Arrested Development, but there's like a school that the characters go to where the slogan is, children should be neither seen nor heard. (laughs) And it's like, that's where Kyle wants all his kids to be neither seen nor heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wants to have kids to carry on his, like, genetic line, but he does not want to see or associate with the kids because he doesn't give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly think that he indulges Malta just to annoy Kefria because before that, he was just like, he was just like, me and, me and your mom are talking. Like, go away now. Yeah. And then as he soon as, like... Sure. And as soon as he realizes, like, Kefria is not giving Malta something he, she wants, he's like, okay, I'll just be petty and give Malta what she wants just to annoy my wife because we're having an argument right now. He wants to assert his authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting that in this chapter, both Wintrow and Kefria talk about seeing Kyle as a stranger for, like, a single moment. And I thought that was really interesting because I think that he is a stranger to both of them, but in different ways. And I think that Kefria saying that is the first time that she's like actually thinking a single thought for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's a start. Yeah, it's a start. Not much, but it's something at least. Mm. But that's all my notes. I got my ranting out and I feel better now. (laughs) My only other note was about Devad or David or whatever. Mm -hmm. I like Uh, how every time you say say his name, like you don't... no no no, but you you, you specifically say davad or david or whatever like (laughs) that exact line yeah i do not know how to pronounce his name but he can't take rach back Mm -hmm. um and i remember like earlier wondering like i couldn't remember why and it's literally just because she resents him for her kid dying and he knows that and he can't handle facing like the horrible things that he does because he's just too much of a coward. Yeah. It's like, ugh, he sucks so much. Yeah, Devad is kind of... I think Devad as a character is, like, so interesting. Again, I feel I feel like I'm, like... I'm not, like, a Devad stan, but I think that, like... I never see anyone discuss him. And I think that the role that he plays in live ships is, like, super interesting. Because... He's... <laughs> he's just like he's such a good like pulse for basically Bing Town. He's just Bing Town in human form. Yeah. He is the cause of a lot of things that happen. Like he is kind of a 
he's a background character, but he's a strong plot device. Yeah. Because he's the one that, like, doesn't he pick up Malta in the carriage or, like, insists on Malta dancing with the satrap? Or there's stuff that he gets the ball rolling on through, like, just insistence and stubbornness. That yeah, and, and, and he's, like, he shows Paragon to try, like, he's, he's trying to sell Paragon to someone. And I think that results in something as well. Yeah, that's the first time that we see Paragon. Mm-hmm. Yep. That probably stirs up Brashen getting Paragon for himself. Mm-hmm. Because Paragon knows that like, there's the potential that he could be sold, so he probably tells Brashen. Yeah, I don't remember, but I, I know that comes back, comes back somehow. That sounds like a yeah. likely thing. I wonder if he even helps Brashen get Paragon. I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't think I remember him doing a single good thing intentionally. Yeah. That's... Yeah, I think that he actually. Oh, I think he kind of helps Brashen get it and get. But well, the only way that he helps is like. Amos Ludluck comes through and is like, we don't really love you. So, like, you can be Brashens or whatever. Because, like, Amos is the one who's trying to sell him anyways. I guess, like, one of my last notes is, do we know why Kenneth has a raven as a symbol? I do not. Okay. I don't think so. Kind of a missed opportunity than IMO, because I feel like could have put something there that was more like symbolic or whatever. But like I don't know. It's it's just a cool it's just a, one of those things where it's like cool. Well Ravens are really good like mimics. Like they can like learn to talk and like repeat stuff back. And I wonder if that's, like, part of it, that Kenneth, like, is playing a little role, and he's just, like, mimicking the emotions that he sees other people feel, and, like, the way that he sees them express them, but he's not actually feeling them himself, and, like, maybe the raven is, like, repeating back words that they've heard, but don't really understand them themselves either. If that's the case, I feel like it's a huge opportunity missed. He's a pirate. You could have given him a parrot. Come on now. Oh my god, he does get one leg. <laughs> that's too cliche. Uh-huh. Doesn't somebody have a parrot? Or am I misremembering? Maybe the satrap. I feel like, I feel like the satrap is kind of the type to have a parrot. I thought it was someone with an S because I thought it was like Sorcor got a fucking bird. Or something weird like that. Like <laughs> he starts babying a bird. Yeah, I think that's all I had to say for this chapter. How about y'all? Okay, cool. So I think yeah, that, that was the last chapter for this uh, episode. So thanks y'all for listening. We'll be back next week with chapters 15 through 19. Um, 
Yeah, and I think that it's going to be an interesting transition because we're going to be moving into some of the characters actually like doing stuff, and I think we might be getting away from some of the characters we hate. Hopefully, I don't. So, it would be nice. It would be nice. Sure. Um, but yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye.